Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So the readings for today, lots of stuff about Moses, the first two of them. And Moses even makes it into the New Testament today. Um, Very interesting. They want us to think about Moses, who he was, what he did, what he couldn't do but what he was able to do, too. He was a great guy, Moses was. He followed God's lead in everything he did. For a brush-up on the events of his life, I highly, highly encourage you to watch, either as a family or by yourself in the coming days, the animated film The Prince of Egypt by DreamWorks, back when they were competing with those, uh, the... uh, Disney animated musicals. They made an awesome animated movie about the Exodus and how Moses, by God's hand, led his people from Egypt. By the way, the library is great. They probably have it. Not a dollar spent. All right. He refused, though, Moses, to be called a son of Pharaoh. He didn't want to, you know look all nice and, you know, separated from his brothers, his brother Hebrews. And he would meet and speak with God daily, face to face. And he even speaks with God face to face on the mountain. Today in our New Testament reading, he led God's people out of Egypt by God's grace in what we call the Exodus And he went up on Mount Sinai into that fiery, tempestuous cloud to meet with God and receive the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which are how God seeks to guide us in his will. And who knows, maybe he saw Jesus up there when he went into that cloud on that mountain. And he continued to lead God's people through the desert 
bearing with their rebellion, with their stubbornness, with their hateful words toward God, his life was not easy. It was hard. And despite his attempts to avoid those challenges, God always gave him the strength, the help, or sometimes just the push off the diving board and into the deep end that he needed. And all this was because he believed God's promise. God's promise of a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, if you will, uh, where he and the, the Hebrew people believed that God would live with them and bless them as long as they kept his word. And so we see suffering leads to glory. Moses was a faithful servant of God's house. That's what Hebrews calls it, or calls him. But despite his noble and God-fearing life, despite being the adopted son of Pharaoh, and you begin to see how things start to line into place. He's the adopted son of Pharaoh. Despite all that, God did not let him be the one who would lead the Hebrew people into the promised land. It wasn't for him to do. No. He showed them all the way to that land. How He was even shown how beautiful the land was right before he died, but he never got to taste any of that milk or honey. His entire life was one of pointing to and leading God's people toward God's promise, but he never got to taste it himself. Instead... The young Joshua, Jesus' namesake, would lead the Hebrews into the promised land, otherwise known as um, we begin to have set up in our heads today the wondrous type that we just sang about. O wondrous type, O vision fair. Jesus, or sorry, Moses leading to Joshua being the type of who Jesus was to be. And instead of Moses being incapable of leading the Hebrew people into the promised land and giving it to Joshua to do, we see Jesus, whom they are a type of, both leading his people to the promised land and bringing them into it. But more on that later. Moses held on to the greatness and power of experiencing God's deliverance of his people from Egypt in that exodus. But he was always looking back on that series of events to remind himself and God's people of God's providence or how he's in control and makes good on his promises from the past But remember, he is only a servant in God's house. Instead, I want to talk about the son of God's house, the one who is Lord over his father's house, the one who by blood rules over God's house, the one who has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, with the glory starting in humble beginnings. Today is the end of Epiphany season, possibly the longest Epiphany season in years. 
No one really knows how it happened, but we have like two extra Sundays in Epiphany this year. And so we finish it with the glorious feast day of the transfiguration of our Lord. You know, we have white on the altar. We got, we had a, a uh, crucifix pr- uh, procession with our crucifer. We even brought the gospel into the middle of the congregation to read it from. It's different today. And we also began this season all the way back almost towards Christmas time with Jesus' baptism, where he revealed or had an epiphany to all who witnessed it, the glory of God the Father, who said of his son, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The glory of the Holy Spirit descended on him and made him the chosen one, the Christ, and the glory of the only Son of the Father, who was made fully man in his baptism, yet remained fully God in the power to save people from their sins, which is his namesake, Joshua, or Yahweh, saves. Eight days before this reading today, they make specific mention of it being eight days after. Jesus predicts for the first time in Luke that Jesus must go to the cross. He must suffer. He must die. He must rise again. Peter is not happy and tries to say, Lord Jesus, this can't happen to you. I'm going to stop it. You can't die. And that, always, that, of course, leads to a very poignant Bible verse many of us remember, Get Behind Me, Satan, where Jesus addresses Peter St. Peter as Satan because he's trying to prevent Jesus' death and resurrection. But here we are, eight days later, Peter's trying to do the same thing. Eight days later, because Jesus will rise on the eighth day, because we all know that on the seventh day God rested, and so that's the Sabbath, and that's Saturday. And then, of course, early Christians would go to synagogue on Saturday and observe the Sabbath. And then in the morning, they'd all gather at someone else's house and worship Jesus Christ on Sunday morning when Jesus rose. And so it becomes not the first day of the week, but the eighth day of new creation, where Jesus rises from the dead. And then us Christians, when we're baptized in a font with eight sides, are baptized into this eighth day of the new creation. And so every Sunday becomes a celebration of Jesus's ultimate glory in his resurrection on Easter Sunday, every Sunday. But here we got Peter, James, and John up with Jesus on the mountain, and Jesus does something called transfiguration, which... The only time I encountered it outside of church, this word transfiguration, was in Harry Potter. When they would like turn people into cats, turn people into mice, that kind of thing. But instead, Jesus turns into the perfect body and soul, Jesus Christ, that he will be when he resurrects. He truly shows his glory. And he does this to give hope and strength. For Peter, James, and John, who are about to witness some of the most dark and disgusting days in human history. When Jesus will go into Jerusalem, he's going to get whipped. Uh, They're going to make up lies about him. They're going to kill him. Uh, And yeah, 
be dead for three days. In the same way, as we enter Lent, and I hope you begin to see how things, all of this all goes together. As we go into Lent with this last feast day of transfiguration, Jesus gives us a glimpse of his glory before we enter our 40 days of Lent or self-examination, where we weigh our lives. We weigh what is God-pleasing in our lives and what is not. We try to repent and change and do less of that and more of this. All of this leading to trust in Jesus' promise of eternal life, of a resurrection on the last day that he shows us by giving us witness to his own resurrection in the transfiguration. But why Moses and Elijah? Well, I'm saving my law and prophet sermon for three years down the road. But I'm here to tell you today about how they had that weird discussion about Jesus's, uh, what do they call it, his, his departure in the reading today. Now, if I could show you the Greek, it's strange because it says they discussed Jesus's exodus that he was about to do in Jerusalem. Jesus's death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. He's going to exodus out of this world and into heaven. And he's going to bring us with like Joshua did because Moses couldn't. Oh, wondrous typo vision fair. This was everything that Moses and Elijah preached and teached about in the Old Testament. This is what the entire Old Testament was about. This coming, final Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, killed one lamb for many. That his blood would not only cover their sins, but for the first time in history would take them away. And make people truly clean and not just hidden before their God. This is an event that passes and pushes beside the exodus out of Egypt, the return from exile from Babylon. This gives us great hope that we too will one day in our own glorified bodies be reunited with our souls and talk face to face with Jesus Christ. And what's so interesting is, is Jesus is up there talking with Moses and Elijah in their perfect heavenly body forms. And he's listening to what they have to say too. Even though he's perfect Jesus, fully God, he cares what you have to say when you talk to him. He listens to you. In fact, Luke is unique in that he describes Jesus discussing Moses, with Moses and Elijah in calling it an exodus. It all works together. The Bible is all connected together. Jesus is talking to Moses, and they're not talking about Je- or Moses' exodus from Egypt. They're talking about Jesus' exodus from this world on the cross. Jesus will go, suffer, be tortured, and die on a cross. And he will lead us believers to where Moses could not. He will lead us 
out of this barren wasteland of this sinful fallen world and into the promised land of life in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Suffering leads to glory. Jesus, whose namesake is Joshua or Yahweh saves, delivers, saves, leads his people from the bad place into the good place. This is what they're discussing. But Peter tries to stop it without thinking because he is a mere human being like you or I. He blurts out, can I please make some shelters for you three? Then we can stay here forever in this glorious time. No suffering. It's beautiful. Everything's fine. Once again, Peter wants not only Jesus but himself to avoid suffering. To avoid the cross. Can't we do it any other way? Jesus even prays himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Please, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me, but not your will be done, or not my will be done, but yours. In the same way, we are tempted as mere people to avoid suffering, to not do the hard thing. And I was thinking about this, and it's never right and wrong and like, oh, I want to do the wrong thing. More often, our choices are like this. It's never easy. It's always, do I want to do the right thing or do I want to do the thing that feels good or is easier to do than the right thing because the right thing's hard? The right thing is putting off immediate satisfaction and, and gratification for Uh, far off gratification and feeling good. We want to feel safe. We want the easy way. And even though Jesus is constantly reminding us that only suffering leads to glory, most explicitly in his life, when he must suffer and die and rise again to be glorified in the resurrection, to receive the unique glory that is only from God, we tell ourselves lies. We tell ourselves things like, if I just keep watching the news, it will make me feel scared, but at least I'll feel something. We say, maybe buying another thing off Amazon is why I don't feel complete yet. And then it will come in the mail and it will be something exciting to open up. And then I'll feel good. Sometimes it's, I'm more afraid of the pain of the discussion with my kids about baptizing my grandson or granddaughter. Maybe if I stop feeling guilty about skipping whatever it is today, skipping the gym, skipping the Bible reading, skipping church this week, skipping church the second week, keeping pastor from visiting, maybe then... I'll feel happy. But you'd never say that out loud. So why don't we try it? If we vocalize what we say to ourselves, what we're feeling, we speak our sinful thoughts out loud like Peter did. That helps God to help us to correct it. 
because then God can interrupt our plans and lead us to glory. When Peter tried to prevent Jesus' suffering and crucifixion the second time, God the Father himself wrapped Peter in a cloud and reminded him sternly of something similar he said at Jesus' baptism. Hey, buddy, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Don't listen to Moses. Don't listen to whatever news personality or social media person you're, you like now. Don't listen to yourself. You fail yourself. Don't listen to your sinful nature. Look up and see Jesus only. My son, with whom I am well pleased, must go, suffer, and die for you, for your sins. Jesus knows what he's doing with your failing health. Jesus knows what he's doing with Ukraine. He knows what he's doing with the coronavirus. He knows what he's doing with your children's faith. And sometimes it's even despite what you teach them, whether it be explicitly with your words or with the habits that you teach them with. Jesus would have us trust him that all things except for his glory are temporary. So take comfort where Jesus gives it. Jesus is here for you in the divine service. He truly is here for you in his word, in his sacraments. He is transformed and he is perfect for you right here in this communion. And he is working out your salvation and bringing you home in the great exodus from death to life. Trust him. He overcame the world for us. He leads us through and gives us strength. You're busy with work? Great. You get the challenge to figure out how your family can still do devotions together. And you will be given grace upon grace. You're unemployed? Great. You get the challenge of learning to trust Jesus even when things aren't going well. You're retired? Good news. You have even more time to serve Jesus in a new way. Go right into the suffering, knowing that it is only temporary, because God says so. Go into the suffering, knowing that it is necessary for God's glory, because Jesus can pull you through an eye of a needle For he has gone forth before you into the heavenly places, bringing you with him. With God, all things are possible. I close and speak of today's baptism. Look at it, and hopefully it reminds you of your own. Remember whose you are. God used to use water to kill sinful people whether it was in Noah's day or the Egyptians that were chasing Moses and the Hebrews as they escaped Egypt. 
But now, God uses water to kill your sinful self. First on the eighth day, on Sunday of new creation, the day that Jesus rose and was made perfect and glorified forever. But now, he does that daily. As the living water that is Jesus Christ's teaching, his word flows over you. And each day you remember in your baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, where you remain watered, where you grow, where you renew the desert lands of your life and of your heart by God's word alone. Amen.